Hi, this is Guy Gilchrist, Jim Henson's cartoonist, and you're listening to Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, where nostalgia comes alive. Welcome to Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, the podcast where nostalgia comes alive. Since July of 2021, Jake and his friends have interviewed professionals in the worlds of acting, directing, writing, puppeteering, and many more. Who will they be chatting with in this week's interview? Find out in this Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show episode. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. When nostalgia comes alive, happy here with us today. I'm, I'm your host, Jake Duffenball. I'm going to tell you stories. Our co host Chris McSpee and Matt Bingo. How you guys doing? Good. Doing good. good. Hello. Hello, everybody. And how are you doing, Jake? I'm doing great as always. Thank you for asking. And Matt, what do we have for today? Our special guest today is the creator of the animated series My Life as a Teenage Robot. He's also worked on Samurai Jack, Dexter's Laboratory, and Powerpuff Girls. Uh, He's been in animation for more than 20 years. Actually, I'd say about 25 now, I think, something like that. But he's done a lot of amazing work in animation, which we'll get into. Here he is, Mr. Rob Renzetti. How you doing, Rob? Welcome. Happy to have you here. I'm doing good, Matt. How are you? How's everybody? Doing Chris, good. Hi, Jake. I'm doing fantastic. Doing, doing, doing good. fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to Thanks have you on. Thanks for talking with me. Absolutely. Yes, of course. Definitely. Of course. Of course. So to kick this off, we know who you are, but for those who don't, would you care to introduce yourself a little bit, what you do? Sure. Uh, oh boy, that could go on for a while, but I'll, I'll try and be succinct. So I'm Rob Renzetti. As uh, was previously stated, I work in animation. I had a show, My Life is a Teenage Robot, a fan, fan created t-shirt I'm wearing right now. Um, uh, I come from the suburbs of Illinois originally. Uh, I moved out to uh, California to go to Cal Arts. Um, I was lucky enough to get a job at the legendary Hanna Barbera Studios uh, in Los Angeles. Not too long after I graduated, I worked on a show called Two Stupid Dogs, which was the first first thing I ever worked on. Um, as mentioned, the, the Dexter's Laboratory kind of came um, quickly after that. Um, I uh, did a short at Hanna Barbera called Mina and the Count. I moved over to Nickelodeon to do five more of those shorts with those characters. Among other things, eventually I did the pilot for Teenage Robot, which was the, the uh, idea of mine that went to series, and that ran in the early 2000s. And uh, after that, I moved back to what was now Cartoon Network, uh, had been previously um, Hanna-Barbera, um, and I worked on Tail End of Powerpuff. I worked on, um, oh, I guess I'm getting my things out of order, but anyways, I've worked on a bunch of other stuff, Samurai Jack, Powerpuff briefly. Um, I worked uh, on Gravity Falls. I worked on My Little Pony, um, Friendship is Magic, the one that was uh, headed up by Lauren Faust. Um, I uh, worked on Big City Greens. Uh, most recently, <clears throat> I worked on Kid Cosmic with my friend Craig McCracken. Again, we we uh, he created that show and I was his second in command over at uh, Netflix. And then uh, in those last years, I was also writing on the side and I've uh, written four books uh with disney characters including two spin-off uh, from gravity falls and now i've got a plug the horrible bag of terrible things this is my new book it's out now i think when this thing will be on the air so i've been uh, writing on the side and now i've written um uh my first original uh kind of horror fantasy book it's it's geared towards middle graders but um 
it's good for kids of all ages. Um, so uh, that is out now. Um, and uh, that's kind of in a nutshell, my career. Um, on the side, I'm, I've been married for a very long time. I have a pet rabbit named Digby Flopwell. There's not much more to tell about my personal life right now. Mostly <laughs> stick close to home and play with my rabbit. Occasionally <laughs> go out hiking. Uh, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Nice. So I'm kind of curious. So uh, how did you get into animation? Uh, by sheer luck, honestly. Um, the timing of my career kind of coincided with the rebirth of um, the industry, which had been on a real downward spiral. Um, kind of when I went, I went off, uh, I kind of shorthanded, but before I went to CalArts, I went to um, a place called University of Illinois, which is downstate from where I grew up. And I was there as a, I wanted to get into the graphic design program. I didn't get into that. I got into our art, art history program. And this was in the mid uh, mid eighties. And um, right then at that point, like it didn't even look like Disney was gonna be doing animated features. Um, but while I was there, uh, Roger Rabbit came out, the Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the original feature. And that kind of gave the industry some juice. And um, by the time I was ready to graduate, I knew I didn't really wanna do what I'd gone to school for. And I found out there just coincidentally happened to be an article in the Chicago Tribune about CalArts. I knew that, I thought, I knew vaguely that Walt Disney had started an animation school, which isn't really accurate. He like changed what was Chenard, which was an art school. And he like invested a bunch of money, moved, they helped move the school and it became California Institute of the Arts. And he started the animation program there to train people for hopefully to come uh, out and work at Disney. But I found out about that when I was like a senior in um, in college or between my junior and senior year. And then also coincidentally, someone from my high school had gone there directly out of high school. And so there was someone in my high school that had been to CalArts and I talked talk to him and quizzed him about it and um, got all the information about it. Um, and eventually after a, a roller coaster ride of getting, not getting in, then getting in, I eventually moved out, moved out there and went, went to school there for two years and then got hired um, to do animation because of the connections I had through going to the animation program um, at CalArts, um, which was not unusual. CalArts was fed a lot of people into the industry. So that's kind of how I clued into it. I knew I wanted, when I was very, very young, I always wanted to be an animator. Um, you know, I grew up watching Warner Brothers cartoons and the old oh, cartoons of the Popeye cartoons and oh, yeah. the characters. Tons of Hanna-Barbera was on TV. Um, so I saw that stuff and um, I was very inspired by it and I drew through my whole childhood. But by the time I was a teen and thinking about what I was going to do with my life coming out of high school, going to college, like things were just dead. So um, luckily I delayed long enough that I was able to participate kind of in the rebirth of the industry in the late eighties, early nineties. Nice. Yes, awesome. it was very nice. Yeah, Absolutely. So who are some of your biggest animation influences? I mean, there's a couple. From my childhood, I was really, really keyed into the Fleischer cartoons and especially the Popeye cartoons. They showed five days a week um, at a local television station. I loved the humor. I loved the kind of fantastic um, animation style of them, how whimsical they were and how um, disconnected from reality they were um, in, as opposed to the Disney shorts, which were, you know, like, trying to mimic the way things were in real life. The Fleshers really didn't want anything to do with that. They did just all this crazy fantasy stuff. And I loved, I really loved that. And I was a huge, I just loved the character of Popeye. So that was a huge 
um, huge childhood influence was was were, were those shorts. Um, and also, I have to say the Hanna Barbera stuff, like that that it's kind of limited designing style. Um, I really uh, really liked the way that looked, and uh, really admired that. And um, when I was at Cal Arts, I was exposed to the kind of more sophisticated first generation of that, which was the UPA shorts, Gerald McBoing Boing, Rudy Tutut, all those kind of um, shorts that they did in the mid '50s, which kind of um, again departed from what was kind of the more photorealistic, like let's make things look like they move in real life, more into a more stylized both design sense and a more stylized movement um, with Bobo Cannon and other directors there at UPA. Uh, that was a huge influence on me coming out of coming out of CalArts. And that was kind of uh, the group that I was with, Craig McCracken, Gendy, we all kind of clued into that same um, style and pursued that in in the shows we did first with two stupid dogs and then dexter and powerpuff and, and all the stuff that i did for myself Nina and the count was hugely influenced by um by the upa style it was a huge influence on me nice now one of your earliest jobs was on the show two stupid dogs working yes. as a writer director and storyboard artist what was it like getting to work on that show i mean it was a huge uh <laughs> relief it was a huge relief <laughs> uh to step back just a bit it wasn't my actual first animation job though it was the first animation job i had in los angeles when i came out of cal arts um actually there was a guy there named sergio pablos who was from madrid spain and he um had worked at a animation studio in madrid the during the summer between our first and second year and he was going to go back there after our second year and work there again and that studio actually had gotten um, a contract to do a few episodes of the original Batman, the animated series. Um, so when I came out of school, I had two possible uh, jobs. One was that I was, he said, like, they're looking for animators. If you guys want to come over, I can get you a job working on Batman in Spain. The other one was uh, there was a movie called Page Master um, that was starting at the Turner Features at the time. And um, they wanted to hire a bunch of people um, to come in as like trainees and work on that. So they need they needed a bunch of warm bodies. And um, I had an offer to do that as well. I could have become a, an assistant's assistant's assistant, basically at the very uh, bottom of the totem pole, um, like cleanup, maybe even cleaning up other people's animation drawings in Los Angeles. Or I become I could become like an animator right away in Spain, um, working on Batman, who was always a huge Batman fan, as most people are and were um Definitely. so i decided i'm gonna go to spain and work on batman um and uh what i found out was that i was not ready to be an animator <laughs> i should have been an assistant for a very long time like i could not animate those characters um and it was a pretty miserable work experience <laughs> to be quite honest spain was great i love being over in spain that was fantastic it was the year of the barcelona olympics so i got to go to see the barcelona olympics one weekend I wouldn't I wouldn't change the experience for the for the world. It was it, it worked out great for me in the end, but um, it, the work experience was really horrible. Um, but after that horrible work experience, I came back. I was basically uh, you call it couch surfing, where you stay on friends' couches, except it was just one friend's couch. <laughs> I was on one friend's couch for like a couple of week, couple of months out in Los Angeles, looking to try and get a job. So when we finally got hired, because um, of Craig and Gendy and I. All got hired at two stupid dogs basically in the same couple of days um that was a huge relief like i had a job i could we all moved into our own apartment together and we could get off our friend's couch um and uh so it was a huge relief and it was a huge opportunity because 
they were again i was doing stuff that was creative rather than being an assistant on a feature i was a storyboard artist on a cartoon show which meant i was draw doing my own drawings i was writing my own gags um we donovan cook who created two stupid dogs gave us a ton of freedom um to come up with stuff um we we would pitch to each other and we would add gags to the each other's cartoons it was kind of the proto um, experience, which we would implement on Dexter when Gendy got his show and we were all working on it together, where we were basically a collaborative coming up with ideas together, pitching them to each other um, and uh, seeing what worked, seeing what was funny. Um, so it was a great experience. And I'm, I owe Donovan my, you know, if anybody uh, I owe my career to, it's Donovan for hiring me and giving me that chance. Um, um, it was tons of fun. Definitely. And you also worked on a number of... Uh... Other Cartoon Network shows, including some that you mentioned, Dexter's Laboratory and the Powerpuff Girls. What was it like working on those? I mean, Dex Dexter was basically my crew of people. Those were Gendy and I had been roommates um, at Call Arts for two years. We moved in with Craig McCracken. Um, so these were my best buddies, and we were just basically doing a show together. Um, and Paul Rudish was um, was uh, our our close friend as as well. Um, so it was just like uh, it was kind of like doing a student film, except you had, you know, together, except you had to do it several of them every week <laughs> on a very tight, very tight schedule. So the pressure was not fun, but collaborating with those guys, it was a dream come true. Like we'd always none of us had dreamed come, when we were in college, none of us had dreamed that we would all have our own shows. We didn't even dream one of us would ever get our own show. So when they picked up Dexter, we were just thrilled. Um, there was a moment I remember uh Gendy and I were both there on the weekend working and uh we there was this main lobby at Hanna-Barbera and they had a television and the television was just tuned to Cartoon Network 24-7 and it ran on the weekend too they didn't turn it off during the weekend and we actually were in the lobby um and we watched Dexter come on TV and uh we saw both it was an episode that I boarded and obviously it was Gendy's show so we saw both our names on the TV screen and we were just both like we like this is what we dreamed of when we when we were in Chicago together and now it was actually happening just a few years later so it was really mind-blowing uh and thrilling it was great definitely awesome so you're best known for creating Nicktoon my life as a teenage Waba. how did the idea for that show you know kind of like come about for you uh it came about out of desperation <laughs> in that uh, I mentioned me in an account. I did one. I did one episode of me in an account of Hanna Barbera, and I was desperate for that to be my show. Um, it had been a student film for me, like Dexter had been a student film for Craig, and how Powerpuff had been a student film. I mean, Dexter for Gendy, Craig had done Powerpuff as a student film. Mina had been my student film, so I wanted that to be my show. Um, so I did that one pilot, and uh, it had a long roller coaster ride, which I've talked about in other other uh, podcasts. But suffice it to say, it had several opportunities to become a show. It never did. The last opportunity was at Nickelodeon. They, Fred Seibert, who had been the president of Hanna-Barbera, moved over to Nickelodeon and said, I want you to bring over Mina. I want Mina to be a show. So that was music of my ears. That's why I left Hanna-Barbera to move to Nickelodeon for the chance to do uh, Mina as a, as a show itself. Uh, so I did five more pilots of Mina. I was supposed to do six. Nickelodeon did not like the idea. <laughs> Uh, they were creeped out about the idea of a, a vampire and a little girl being best friends, though, you know, because vampires have this sexual mystique to them right. there was none of that in any of the if you've seen the shorts there's none of that in any of the shorts there's not even a hint of that in the shorts that was never my intention it was always meant to be an innocent relationship that was the that was that was the joke was that this this vampire who likes to 
like basically likes to sleep around with girls by biting them, you know, girls of age would never touch an underage girl in that way. So it was always meant to be innocent, but Nickelodeon could not see it that way. So they canceled the last Mina short. And I, so there was an open slot. Um, and I thought Fred was going to give it away to somebody else like that. I'd failed and he legitimately was going to give it to either Butch Hartman to do another um, fairly odd parents pilot, which he was working on time or Larry Huber who was working on the, the shorts for Chalk Zone, which became his series. Um, but instead, Fred said, I want you to come up with a different idea. It's your slot. If you have got another idea you want to do, um, do it. And so I had a few different ideas. One was about a teenager, a teenage girl who has a robot for a boyfriend. Um, and I pitched that to Fred and Fred said, I don't think you want to do another idea with a girl in in a relationship with a non another non-human creature. <laughs> Uh, they didn't like me and you know, don't go down the same path again. I'm like, oh, you're probably right. And um, I was just driving to uh, the grocery store after having that meeting with him, not immediately, but in the days that came afterwards. And the idea, like the thought in my head was just like, what if the teenage girl was the robot? Um, and just with that thought, that like idea, the idea for the pilot, like I basically had it within minutes and I pulled over to the side of the road and I wrote it all down on the back of some on my back of my grocery list, I think. And uh, I had the pilot for the show. So I came up with the idea out of like, just like I was in a corner and I, I, I had an idea that he didn't like, but I just tweaked it in that little way. And um, sometimes the best ideas are like that. They just kind of tumble. They tumble, they come to you out of wherever they come from the ether or whatever. If you believe in God from God or the muses or whatever, um, it just kind of came to me all at once. And um, I had it. And um you know, it was just a pilot for a while, but it, I, you know, I could see the series potential in it, and eventually Nickelodeon saw it as well. Nice, definitely. So, did you know that uh, My Life as a Teenage Robot will become such an iconic show and still is to this day? No, <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, it was basically a failure. I mean, to be bre to be uh, blunt, it only got three seasons. Um, you know, it did not go on for twenty. 30 years like SpongeBob or Fairly Odd Parents or anything like that. You know, it was just kind of a, it, we did, we were proud of it. And we were happy when we were doing it. Um, um, but, you know, it did not have the ratings at the time that it needed, needed to have to survive. So the fact that people are still talking about it now, 20 years after its premiere is a huge, obviously it's a joy to me um, and um, a, a big surprise. I thought, you know, most shows just kind of fade into obscurity. I mean, the internet has changed that a little bit. Like when we were doing the show in the early 2000s, you know, this kind of internet community thing was just starting to come together. We had a we had what we held the Teenage Row blog. You know, we had a blog run by our, uh, we all contributed to it, but our our, our head writer kind of ran it while the show was going on. Um, and so we didn't really have the kind of feedback between fans and, and, and artists that is so common today on all the social media at that time. But we, we had kind of had the germ of it, the start of it, but um so I didn't really see any way that it would become or stay remembered throughout all the years. Um, but obviously the internet, much like it's spawned uh, so many things in our culture, it is, you know, I think to help fuel the fan community and uh, allowed them to find each other and stay together. So um, uh, of course I, you know, of, of this is what you want is your stuff to be remembered, but I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be remembered at all. Mm. Sorry, I wish I could say I was I, I had was more uh, 
I saw the future and that I saw exactly what would happen, but that would, that would, be, that would be quite dishonest. Don't, don't buy that from anybody who tells you that. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. So I'm curious, are there any episodes in my life as a teenage robot that stick out as some of your favorites? Uh, yeah. I mean, several um, uh, for different reasons. One, uh, one is a, uh, uh, the one that's uh, called um, Speak No Evil, um, which was kind of um, in the trilogy that we did. We did this episode called Ear No Evil, where Jenny discovers, I don't have ears. If I want to be more like a human, I have to have ears. And she has these horrible large ears on us. And that was just meant to be a one-off. And we did the Ear No Evil as pun um, title. But then we got ideas for like the other two parts of that phrase. So we did a, we did a Hear No Evil and a Speak No Evil and a, and a, um, and a See No Evil. And Speak No Evil is the one where she loses her ability to speak English and she only speaks Japanese. And um, oh, yeah. that one was that one was fun because um, I wasn't happy with how the first storyboard turned out. So I basically took over the storyboard and redid it all myself. Um, and that was not normally the case. Usually, hopefully, you have a storyboard artist to um, guess what you're going for and you just have to do little tweaks and stuff. But in that instance, I wasn't happy how things turned out. So I had to like basically fix it on the weekend. And I did. And... Um, and um, I remember it's one of the few episodes I got to see with an audience because it was put into um, uh, there was this uh, film festival up in Canada that was it was shown in and I got to go. They actually brought me up to the film festival and I got to see it with an audience. I got to see people react to the gags that I'd come up with, which was fun because that's not something you normally get with a television show. You know, uh, again, back then, you're not getting online responses. You're not hearing people. There's no live streaming of episodes or anything right. like that. It was just like do it and put it on tv and never hear from anybody ever again so the fact that i got to see with a live audience and got to see people react to some of the dumb gags that i thought were really dumb and were again out of desperation because i had to get the episode done i came up with them like this is what i came up with i gotta go with it um that people liked it a lot that was a that was a thrill for me so i always think of that one fondly because of the fact that those are my gags and um and um and uh and people liked them um, another one that sticks out to me is uh, the return of the Raggedy Android one because it's the most horrific episode we were able to do. Um, and I'm a huge horror fan. Obviously, I just wrote a book uh, that's like a horror a horror themed book. Um, and I did mean an account, which obviously is very very lightly horror themed. It's just about movie monsters without really any horror in it. But this episode, Teen Robo, we have to actually do some creepy, scary stuff, and that was a lot of fun to kind of change the tone of the show. Um, and uh, and do that. Um, the other thing that sticks out this course is the the hour the hour special we did called uh, Escape from Cluster Prime because we got to really oh, yeah. um, mm -hmm. expand things and you know show something we talked about for so long this planet full of robots, um, which was a huge <laughs> challenge for my design staff. But like I was really proud of all the work that my crew did on that and how that all came together. Um, and you know Alex Kerman, my art director, like designed a whole new title sequence. Um, which wasn't something that we needed to do, but he ended up doing because he wanted to. Um, I was very lucky on my show to have a hugely talented crew that was really devoted to the show and did a lot of extra for me. Um, and um, many of them um, are became good friends and are still good friends of mine to this day. We were um, we became a very tightly knit crew, and um, so it was a real pleasure to work with them. And most the thing I mostly regretted when the show was canceled was the fact that we wouldn't continue to start continue working together because some. By the time we were canceled, I thought we really had a very tight crew 
and we were working we were well-oiled machine it was like the well-oiled machine was moving and then they decided to shut down the machine so that was sad but um it was mostly you know i didn't necessarily want to do it for 20 years like spongebob or fairly odd parents but i did want right. to do a fourth, fourth season at least so mm-hmm. i was hoping we'd get a fourth season so when we didn't that was a disappointment but those 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 are some of the highlights that come up the top of my head so Definitely. I always liked when Nickelodeon did like hour long specials because I know uh, SpongeBob yeah. did them a bunch. Yeah. yeah. Fair, uh. fair, fairly Odd Parents and Jimmy Neutron did that whole crossover thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only other special we got to do was a Christmas special, which was fun. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I really want to do a Halloween special because I'm a huge horror fan, but we never got around to it. We got one right. like one scene of Halloween in the Christmas special because the Christmas special covered like all the holidays in the storyline. Um. Uh, but I would have loved to have done a Halloween special, obviously, and, and gotten another horror episode out of out of the uh, Teenage Robot. It's just, you know, it was a superhero comedy. So, like, getting horror in there was a little bit difficult, uh, except, uh, you know, a few moments here and there. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, similarly, do you have any favorite Teenage Robot characters? Uh, I probably do. I don't know if I should say that's kind of like, you know dissing your other children um i mean obviously <laughs> right jen jenny was a huge favorite of mine she's the core and the center of the episode and um i've always loved working with female characters mina you know i mean and mean an account i i did um especially back when i was doing it there weren't a lot of female lead characters um and um i enjoyed uh, the contrasts in her with the fact that she had this kind of typical teenage girl personality um in a body that wasn't really designed to have a typical teenage girl life um other favorite characters um you know there's the main cast of course i love all them but um i loved uh kilgore um the little the little toy robot who wants to take over the world um i like uh i like vexus i love vexus i love brit and tiff I love them, the villains in the show a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, who else can I think of? Try to think of. Um, I mean, I love the Raggedy Android suit, and I wanted to bring that suit back for a third episode, but we never got to never got to do that because the third episode I came up with was really really dark. <laughs> it was like taking the horror stuff to an extreme. Um, uh, so I may I may bring the suit back if I decide I want to do that uh, as a storyline on my on my uh, on my website. I don't know if you guys know or not, but I'm. In order to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the premiere, I'm writing a new teenage robot story um, that's exclusive to the subscribers of my newsletter. Um, so um, I'm that's going to premiere on August 1st, which will be the actual 20th anniversary of the show premiering. Um, and it's just like it's just a story um, with um, it's going to actually, but I uh, it's going to have visuals from Alice Kerwin, the art director. He's going to do illustrations when he when he has a chance on some of the chapters. But I'm basically going to release a new teenage robot story on the on the website, um, chapter by chapter, over the course of the next few months, uh, uh, depending upon how many chapters I come up with. It's already expanded, uh, gotten longer than I thought it would be. So as I've started to write it, um, so uh, you know, we'll I won't touch on all the favorite characters, but some of the characters right. will be coming back for this first story, and we might bring some of them up, some of them back if I come up with another story that I want to tell down the line. Nice. Definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah that's great. Thank you. It's, yep. It's it's also hard to believe the show is twenty years old. You know, it's yeah, I know. twenty years. That's you're telling me I had to live all those twenty years. Yeah. 
<laughs> so 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 Chris and I. Unfortunately, <laughs> Wait, unfortunately, how old are you Jakey, guys? Tell me how old I, are you? Do you Jay, your Chris and I are. I predate uh, the show. I was born in two thousand. Okay, I was barely, also born in two thousand. Barely, Jake. And I'm born. Jake was two thousand four. You millennial you, babies. You, Let you, me tell you, you about you, the twentieth century. <laughs> Back then, we didn't have computer screens to connect you to anyone in the world. We had a thing called the yellow pages. <laughs> and yellow you needed page. to know the person's pages, name before yeah. you could find them. <laughs> mm, yellow pages yeah that's such a throwback in and of itself yeah we still had it we still had the yellow pages we don't need more thank goodness. i think the last one i got was about uh three three pages long because everybody had given up on them sad i know right oh, wow. yeah. oh well are there yeah. better things to be nostalgic about than a big junk book that that a big bulky for? phone book yeah a big bulky phone book yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, oh. yeah. Chris and I lived those twenty years, and a lot has changed in twenty years. I'd say, yes, absolutely. absolutely, absolutely. Now, moving on to some of your work with Cartoon Network, you've worked on the series Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. Yes, it's another throwback. Uh, what was it like working on that amazing show? It was. It was a lot of fun. Again, um, it was. You know, I'd I'd worked with Craig, and we were we've been friends since school, and um, my career is kind of like I, I um, work with those uh, those guys and then I go do something else and then I come back. Um, so I was back at Cartoon Network and uh, and uh, I had a chance to work with him on Fosters. And, uh, you know, it was like the same as old times, um, a different group in the room, like Lauren, his his uh, his wife was in there as a contributor. And uh, we were all just coming up with ideas again. I got to write a few script again this this was kind of what I did on them um, back when on Two Stupid Dogs second season. I had the opportunity to like write an idea. Um, and then storyboard it and then be involved in the directing of it. And the same was true on Foster's. I would write a script um, and then a couple of those scripts, I get the storyboard myself. And then my main job was on, was the post supervisor. So I was in the room like doing um, editing with the editor. Basically, we get an episode back and we'd, we'd, we'd trim it down for time and all that kind of stuff and working on all the post stuff. So um I've been lucky in that, uh, you know, the thing that you do when you have your own shows, you're like, you've got your fingers and everything, right? You're not concentrating on one thing. You've got to look at, you got to look at the storyboards. You got to look at the writing. You got to look at the music. You got to, your everything lands on your desk, which is the joy and the stress of having your own show. Um, the joy when you're working on somebody else's show is you get to be in those things, but you're, none of them are, you're never the final arbiter about them. So like I would then I'd add in an episode and I'd like it, but it was up to Craig. If he like liked all the edits I did, I wasn't, that burden wasn't on my shoulders, but I still had the joy of doing all that kind of creative stuff. I come up with an idea or write a script and then I give it to him and he could change some of the gags or some of the story beats or whatever. Um, you know, uh, same with the board or whatever. I drew my board and if he needed some stuff changed, he would change it. Um, so getting to do all those various things when you're working on a show, if it's not your show, is a lot of fun because you're not stuck doing the exact same thing every day. You get a little variation. Um, you know, when you're a storyboard artist, which is fun, but it's very stressful, you're drawing a lot um, and you're doing, you're drawing, you're drawing this thing and you draw and you get to the end and you turn in your board and it's great. And your reward is you get to start drawing another board. Um, so, you know, after a while there, you know, burnout's real, like it's a hard job. Um, so getting to draw, but then also getting to direct, like taking a break, like get to draw, then get to direct, which is a different set of skills, you know, then um, go spot the music with a music guy. And every music, spotting music is always my favorite thing because I cannot play anything. 
I cannot help. I can't jump in and save the music. I have to rely on somebody else to get that right. Right. So, you know, if a board is no good, I know I can go in and fix the board. If the writing's no good on a script I get, I know I can fix the writing, um, which is again, fun, but also a burden because you're someone else is relying on you to get it right with the music. You, if you don't like something, the music, you just have to tell the guy, no, that's not really what I wanted, but you can't pick up. I can't, at least I can't pick up a guitar. I can't pick up, um, you know, any other musical instrument and fix it because I just don't have those skills. So in a way, that's the funnest thing for me, because I know that it's not going to land on my shoulders. I'm just going to be able to give my thoughts and have help the other person get it the way we need to have it done. Um, and luckily, I've worked with very talented musicians over the years, and there's not a lot of things that need to be fixed. Or if they need to be fixed, they're little fixes. There's very seldom that I've had seen a piece of music that we had to start over from scratch with. So um, I don't know. I, I, that, that answer went off the rails. I have a feeling I went on for too long. But uh, anyway, okay. there you go. <laughs> no, we can accept long answers. So no That's okay. there. That's, That's okay. Fine. So Okay, so on uh, Disney, you worked on projects such as uh, Disney's House of Mouse, and you mentioned previously Gravity Falls. Can you talk a bit about those? I can barely talk about House of Mouse. I barely did any work on that, but it was run by my two of my friends, Tony Tony Craig and, and Bob Scanaway, who had, I met on um, Two Stupid Dogs. So always fun to work with them, but I barely remember doing what I did on that. I think I did a little bit of storyboard work. I don't really remember. Um Gravity Falls, I was, you know, there from not quite the beginning, but almost the beginning all the way to the end. Um, um, and that was fantastic. I loved it. Um, it was the most work I did besides my own show. Um, I was the supervising director, I think my title was, but it was basically, I was the old veteran that was there to make sure that, um, um, you know, uh, Alex Hirsch knew what he was doing. But Alex Hirsch knew what he was doing. He knew what he wanted to do with that series. He was very confident, very talented you know he came up with a lot of the story ideas most of the story ideas most of the gags i just was there to help out and um, contribute ideas when i could so very similar to my um, experience on fosters i was involved in all the aspects of it i was involved in the story meetings i would look at the boards and give my notes on the boards i would supervise the timing on the show i would be an editorial helping to trim down the show when it came back i would be there i didn't do the music spotting but i would you know see i would go to the mixes um, and help uh, mix the show. So I was involved in all the other things, but again, it wasn't the final decision and the final work was on Alex's shoulders, not mine. Um, and I love it. It was, again, it was the first chance I had to do a, a horror combined with comedy again, since Mina and the Count. Um, and since those few little instances I had on Teenage Robot. So I loved the show from the very beginning. I, I, I came in and saw the pilot and loved it and met Alex over a couple of occasions and thought, we could work together and we ended up having a great working experience. Um, and it was a long time. We were, I worked on that show for close to five years. It was, um, we took a long time to make that show. So it was, uh, you know, it was, but it was fun. It was a great crew, young, talented crew. A lot of them have gone on to have their own show. Matt Brawley, Dana Terrace, both came out of that show as board artists and both had their own shows at Disney. Um, Mike Randa was on that show uh, first season and went off and had, you know, did a feature film. For Sony. Uh, and uh, so a lot of talent was there. Again, it was like it was basically the next generation, similar to what we had on Two Stupid Dogs with Paul and Craig and Gendy and me all there at once. This was a bunch of young people that had been at CalArts together coming out, kind of the first one of their um, one of their crew getting a show, all of them kind of working on it together. Um, so it was a lot of fun to be involved in that group. And uh, we had a great time and it was a great show. I love the stories. 
love being involved in and coming up with the helping to come up with the stories um so it was fantastic it was it was uh, it was a great show absolutely yeah yes and i should mention i also after that show i worked on big city greens with uh shane and chris houghton i was involved in the first two seasons of that um and again they you know young creators they wanted to have an old hand in there with them but again Chris and Shane knew what they were doing. It was their show. I was just there to help out. And again, I got to be involved in all the different aspects of things, help develop the characters and those early episodes and, and help come up with ideas and be in the storyboard pitches and, you know, do little sketches and do like that and supervise the timing again. And um, again, they were great, great guys to work with. And uh, I had a great time with them on that show as well. Nice. Awesome. So aside from animating, you've also written a number of books. Can you talk about your work as an author? Yeah, I mean, it started off kind of at Disney when I was uh, when I was there working on Gravity Falls. They wanted to, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been writing as part of my cartoon bit, um, job for a while. Like as a storyboard artist, all the way going back to Two Stupid Dogs, we were given an outline of an idea. We weren't given a script. So the idea would be like the Two Stupid Dogs can't figure out how to open an automatic door, you know, and you'd get like a few, you get some, some big ag suggestions and stuff, but as the board artist, you've got to come up with the bulk of the um, jokes, the bulk of the dialogue and stuff. So I've been writing my whole career, but not what people think of as writing. So um, I'd always want, I enjoy that part of it and um, humor myself thinking I'm good at it. And so I wanted to do more of that. And um, my kind of desire for that was kind of, just kind of floating there waiting for an opportunity. And when we were working on Gravity Falls, we, they, uh, Disney Publishing, because the show was so popular, wanted to do spinoff books. Um, and I kind of like made sure that my hand was, I'm like, I want to be involved in that. Um, so when they wrote, they, the first book they wrote was Dipper and Mabel's uh, Guide to Mystery and Nonstop Fun. And um, I managed to get the opportunity to write that. And I co-wrote that with Shane Houghton who would be what would future in the future would be one of the creators of Big C Green. So that was the first time Shane and I worked together. Uh, and it was a blast, you know, it was, um, we were writing a book, but like really we're writing like a cup, a bunch of series of gags. Like every concept was like maybe two or three pages long. So it was just a bunch of concepts kind of strung together, um, into a book form. Um, and, uh, it was tons of fun and I loved working with that. Uh, and, um, so when the next opportunity came along, that was the, we did, um, we did an actual version of journal three and that was Alex and me writing that together. Um, so that was a complete, it was kind of the same thing in that, like every journal entry was only going to be like a few, you know, you got two pages on zombies, right? Um, you got two pages on gnomes or whatever, but what we did in that book was we kind of tried to weave a bigger story of, you know, the story of the series and, uh, the bigger story of um, the author. I don't want to blow anything for people who may not have seen the show, um, but like the author of the journal, we kind of told his story more completely in the book than we were able to tell in the series. Um, so that was a really um, a more sophisticated version of kind of doing that kind of like we're doing a couple of gags, but we're telling a bigger story. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, a lot to come up with there because we, even though we did show a lot of pages in the, in the show of the journal, um, there were a lot more pages we needed to come up with to, to create that book. Um, and so that was, that was, that was huge. That was like a huge step forward in terms of, for me, in terms of being a writer of these things, because it wasn't just about little gags. It was about telling a, a bigger, bigger, bigger story. Um, right. I did two other books for 
Disney one one um, based on DuckTales one uh, for Pixar on their they I did a, like a um, something to complement the Onward movie they put out right when the pandemic was hitting, um, but at that point I knew I wanted to write my own original thing. So while I was working on Big City Greens with the Houghtons, I was spent waking up an hour early every morning and writing what turned out to be the horrible bag of terrible things, the book that's out now. Um, that's the first thing I've written that's original. It was all my own idea. Um, I came up with that out of out of the out of my own sick head. And uh, so that's kind of um, now I'm doing three of these books. It's not just not just the first one, but there's two more coming. It's a trilogy. I was able to pitch a trilogy and have them buy a trilogy. So I'm going to have uh, three of my own original idea books out in the next year and a half. The next one comes out in January of next year and the next one later in 2024, um, depending upon how quickly I can write it, which I have to do when I get off the, this call with you. <laughs> supposed to be writing it as we speak <laughs> nice nice and hold on i'm gonna type a few i'm gonna type a few lines while we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 probably whenever it go when this episode goes up and probably your you know the horrible bag of terrible things will might, might be out now so if it so if, if so it is it's going to be you know actually it's, it will be it, it below, is out so can, as as we record as we recorded it will be out i mean i mean as we recorded it's out tomorrow um but by the time you guys put this on the air it will be out so you it can get it out, out. Yay. Nice. All right. fantastic All right. so, so, so everyone like buy, buy a copy of the description down That's below right. so you can yes. buy it. <laughs> go buy it. go buy go to my, my website is robrenzetti.com so there's links to several places to buy it there if you want to go to my website you could also sign up for a newsletter if you're a teenage robot fan and, and and get that story too but that's um you know so hopefully a few people will do so definitely yeah. Wonderful, Absolutely. wonderful. So, so speaking of the horrible bag of terrible things, how did how did writing that come about? I mean, again, like I, I wanted to, I, I, I had this idea that I wanted to write my own original stories, but I didn't have anything really in my head, um, ready to go. Um, the story, there's two, there's two inspirations for the story. The first one is my chiropractor, believe it or not. Um, the guy was uh, before this was before the pandemic. I haven't seen him for a while, but um, I was there. He knew I was in the industry, so we'd always talk about movies and animation. And he knew I wrote books as well. And I went to his office, and there was a um, near his office. There was a billboard for the latest um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie, you know, which just started out as a book and became a movie, became a, a couple different movie series. I think they've done the series a couple movies a couple different times. But at the time, there was a new Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie that had just come out. And he was like, "Well, you you write books. Why don't you write? Why don't you write a popular smash hit like Diary of a Wimpy Kid?" And I'm like thinking to myself in my mind, like, "Oh yeah, I'll just. I'm sorry. I it didn't occur to me to write a hugely popular book that will make me millions of dollars and be spun off into movies. I'll go do that now that you've suggested it, <laughs> as if it was just that easy to come up with a smash hit like you just decide to. Um, but you know, out of that suggestion." what came of it was like, well, why don't you get off up your off your butt and start writing this original story that you want to write? And much like in the in the in the car the day I had the teenage robot had just kind of the teenage robot idea kind of fall out of my head. By the time I was driving home and I'm I live a very short distance from where he where his office is, um I had the first few lines of what became the horrible bag of terrible things. Like I had the first paragraph in my head um for the book. 
So that's kind of was the negative inspiration for the book, if you want to. The positive inspiration actually comes from my wife, which is she came up with the title. Um, so not to blow her out of the water too bad, but she's a bad, bit of a pack, pack rat. And we have lots of papers around the house. So when we get into a clean bit, we usually try and go through those papers. Like, do we need to keep this piece of paper that has this note on it? Does this note still apply? It's like a year old. And it's like, no, that note no longer applies. That can get recycled. But when we're in a hurry and we're just trying to clean the house quick, we'll like take a bunch of papers and throw them into a grocery bag or something. So we were referring to one of those old bags of notes where like it's just shoved in a corner somewhere and we don't want to deal with it. And she called it the horrible bag of terrible things because it was full of things she didn't want to have to deal with, like old notes that she didn't want to have to address. So the title actually comes from her. So uh, that wow. was that that concept that there would be a horrible bag full of something terrible. Uh, that was my wife uh, talking about a bag full of her old notes that she didn't want to deal with. But I turned it into something a little bit more fantastic, <laughs> which is there's a hidden world inside this horrible bag. And this this hidden world, you trans get transported to this world and there's a bunch of monsters and other weird creatures that you have to deal with. Um, and in the story of the horrible bag, for those who wouldn't know, is basically uh, a, a, a preteen boy, Zenith Maelstrom. It lands on his doorstep from somewhere unknown. He foolishly brings it into his house. Um, this spider-like uh, hairball thing crawls out of it and kidnaps his older sister, Apogee, and drags her into the bag. And he has to follow behind to rescue her from this strange world that lies inside the bag. He's definitely looking forward to that as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Cool. I hope you guys get a chance to read it and I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, we, we will definitely will. Definitely. So, since we're about to wrap this up soon, um, to anyone watching or listening, what would you like to say to those who have been supporting you throughout your career? I mean, what can I say except for thank you? If I said anything else, I'd be being very ungenerous, right? <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here! No. <laughs> oh, thank, you. thank you very much for for supporting me, and I, you know, I've been, I feel very lucky and privileged to have. Uh, had the career I've had um, and to have the chance to entertain all the people I've entertained in the, on the various shows I've worked on. Um, it's of course a joy when people reach out to you and tell you how much your work has meant to them. Um, I I'm on, I'm an old man and doing social media is, is, is rough for me, but I am, I am on Twitter quite frequently. Uh, that seems to, I hopefully it won't collapse entirely as we go forward here, but um I do enjoy interacting with fans on Twitter, so you can find me there. Um, I'm at, at, at Rob Renzetti, and and um, also on my on my website, there's a contact form if anybody wants to reach out. I'm pretty good about responding to people that reach out to me, um, even if it's just to say thank you. I will say you're welcome back. If anybody uh -huh. has questions for me, like you guys who don't have a their own podcast, they can uh, reach out to me there and ask me their questions. And hopefully, when I'm not in the middle of writing the book i'm supposed to be writing right now i'll, I'll respond respond if, if if only briefly but um but uh yeah i mean thank you to everyone who's supported supported and 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 liked my ideas and and my shows and not only teenage robot but all the other right. stuff i've worked on um i've been i when i was a young boy in chicago dreaming of this kind of life i never thought i would have quite the life i've i've had in the industry i've been very lucky to uh work on great shows with great people and um, enjoyed almost, almost every minute of it. <laughs> There's been a few minutes, yes, a few minutes I haven't enjoyed, but you know, they're, they're mm -hmm. rare. 
<laughs> and you're welcome <laughs> yes yeah. and your social media and your website will be in the description down below for people to connect with you great thank you so yep. much yes yeah so so this so this last question that chris is about to ask is one that we ask every guest go ahead chris uh oh <laughs> so so to end this off so of course this podcast is called jake's happy nostalgia show when you think of nostalgia what do you think of or in your own words how would you define the word nostalgia well that's a that's a that's a good question you know i'm 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 i mean nostalgia is basically uh you know a hazy way to look back at the past that maybe buffs out the the rough patches um uh you know i'm 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 not a big nostalgia buff. I have things from my life that I love. And I think the, hopefully the things that are worthwhile um, persist from the past and the things that weren't worthwhile um, fade away. And that does not even just include popular media, but old ideas that should be put on the dustbin of history. Um, I'd say the recent, our recent years, maybe, uh, you know, bad ideas have a way of coming back, but I think if there's enough good ideas out there and good people, generating good ideas hopefully we keep moving in a better direction so as far as nostalgia goes i would say i don't think you should um openly embrace everything from your own childhood because some stuff from your old childhood not just shows but ideas are worth leaving behind but uh i'm happy that some people seem to think that the stuff that i've done 20 years ago when you guys were being born uh is worthwhile revisiting um so uh yeah i don't know is that a good definition of nostalgia i guess this is everybody yeah. answers so there's no yeah. wrong answers yeah. right i didn't get yeah. it wrong Absolutely. right right <laughs> right yeah absolutely great yeah. words yeah, yeah. yes yes all right well right. yes thank you thanks for doing this rob uh, i'll let you know when this goes up yeah, so yeah please so i'll out and I'll, I'll promote it on twitter and and, and stuff thank and you. let let the fans oh, cool. know awesome thank, to see. awesome thank you cool thank you means a lot and thank you so much you know for what you for what you've done for being oh, part of our lives thank you thank you thank you for what you've done. I, I was pa- i was paid for, for it it wasn't it was an all charity i did get i did get a career out of it so thank yeah. you but th- thank you for watching i really appreciate it and thanks for wanting to have me on your show yeah of absolutely course. and the book is the copy is can everyone can can have a copy Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day, Rob. You guys too. Thanks again. Yes, thank you. Right. Bye, thank Rob. you. Bye, Take everyone. Care. Take care. Bye. 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 Take care. It's goodbye from us as well, folks. Yeah, yes, indeed. The, his new yes. book is called The Horrible Bag of Terrible Things. It is uh, available now. As of the time of recording, it wasn't until the following day, but you're watching it ahead. So it's available now, uh, published by penguin workshop and i uh, highly recommend you check it out uh we definitely will and we hope you will too link in the description below but yes it is goodbye from us we have absolutely enjoyed our time with rob renzetti uh got a lot of wonderful stuff coming uh jake what do we say take us out keep massage alive take care everyone see you next time bye-bye yes bye 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 Thank you for tuning in to another wonderful Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show interview. Be sure to follow Jake and the crew on social media and stream the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And as always, remember to keep nostalgia alive. Bye-bye.